0: Welcome back to the episode of Have a Dope Day. I'm your host, Gabriel Lopez, and today I'm here with Joshua Tremaine. Did I say it right? You did. Okay. And I guess this is the Christmas special with the <laughs> fucking lights and the and all this shit. I show up and Mario's got it all ready to go. So it looks a little extra fancy. What a way to top off the end of the year. I wanted to kind of just give you how I found out about you. I was notorious for lurking Instagram and just looking <laughs> for people. And uh, I had seen your work, I think on somebody else's page or it might have been the Arden Fair page or something but i went to go take a look at it and i kind of i just liked your fine art stuff i didn't really realize you had such an extensive history and craft in Sacramento until recently i had hosted something which was an open wall type thing and you had a whole bunch of insight on like a more historical piece here in Sac and so it made me really more curious to be like yo i know this dude's dope but what the fuck is this guy's story So my first question to you is going to be, where did art start for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like most everybody, it probably started for me in childhood. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. your first exposure to it. But I won't front like I had some kind of situation where I was some six-year-old you know who was all in yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely not that but i wasn't even someone who i wasn't one of those kids who was like drawing all the time and yeah. painting all the time because i know that exists mm-hmm. and and that for a lot of people that's what sort of starts them on track to just be fully in art or yeah. the art world or painting or drawing or whatever it is for them whatever the, the medium they choose is but for me i think it really started in high school um I was a skater and spent like every day of high school skating pretty much when weather would permit and my friends were skaters and we hung out and we would go skate at schools or, you know, skate around. There wasn't as many skate parks around back then as there are now. Um, And one day I was rolling around with the two friends that were like two of my closest friends in high school who... Mm -hmm. Um, who I spent the most time with and who I skated with every day. And I remember one of them pulled out like a Magnum 44 marker, marker. Yeah. just a plain marker. black, stinky yeah. ass marker, yeah. and like caught a tag on a bench. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, like, what's that? You're doing that now. Yeah. And it was intriguing. And I think, you know, when you have a close knit group of friends. You sort of expose each other to different things. And that was the thing where it was like, well, I want to try that. Like, let me, let me see the marker and caught a tag that same day. And then we all just sort of started exploring that world together. And I think I was 15 at the time. You remember what year it was? I would have been like 95. Okay. Um, 90, 95,
0: yeah, that would have been 95. What kind of music is playing on the radio in 1995? Jesus Christ. I just, I just need one song. I mean,
1: realistically, it was probably like Sugar Ray or some <laughs> shit or <laughs> Spice Girls. I think that was like that era. I mean, a, it was, I like, would love to say it was like Snoop Dogg It wasn't like hip-hop though in 95? No, so they also had – there was actually 95, 96, maybe 96, 97. For sure, that's what I was listening to. I, I grew up listening to like – punk rock and hip hop mainly yeah yeah um like i was listening to minor threat and circle jerks and um dfl and punk bands and stuff like that but then i was also super super interested in east coast hip hop which i've been okay. interested in since i was like nine or 10 and i lived in citrus heights and would ride my yeah, bike yeah. over to tower records and buy yeah. cassette singles i'm yeah, showing yeah, my age now yeah. um but well, that, that was one of the question was to yeah, show your age like- <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so i'm <laughs> I, I was 15 and 95 and um yeah had grown up listening to hip-hop and even back then in that era like in Sac, mm-hmm. we had the flavor show on uh i think it was on I'm trying to remember if it was on KSFM 102.5, but I think it was on 103.5, which back then was called The Bomb. The
0: Bomb, yeah. I remember The Bomb bumper stickers. So
1: you know what's crazy is like, you know who Ebro is? Ebro Darden? Uh -uh. So he's like, he works for, he works with like Apple Music, but he's got like huge podcasts. He used, he's like a, he was a DJ in New York. He has a show with like Peter Rosenberg, but he used to be a SAC DJ. Okay, And he did a show in SAC called The Flavor Show that was just like all underground hip-hop yeah. shit and East Coast hip-hop shit. And he would have people come through and freestyle and he would have the cuff on there all yeah, the time and socialistic yeah, yeah. and um, all those groups. But yeah, so anyways, sorry. I went way off on no, a tangent that's there. that's all good. Uh, but yeah, definitely that was a big part of my life. And so it wasn't like, you know, I've never tried rapping i didn't break dance it wasn't like you know i wasn't a turntablist it wasn't sort of like a four tenets of hip-hop thing for me but it was just like oh like this seems like it goes hand in hand with skateboarding
0: well it's the thing that i know now that i didn't know when i was playing with those things skating and music it's like you might come from different backgrounds culturally but it's all it's all or ethnically whatever you culturally whatever but like it's all the same attitude. It's all the same feel. It's the same vibe. So like, that's why a lot of dudes that listen to punk rock skate and write graph yeah. and turn out to be fucking graph heads for like ever. Yeah. Because it's the same energy being translated in different ways. So
1: yeah, there's, surprised.
0: there's super,
1: super hip hop dudes yeah. in graffiti. There's punk rock dudes in graffiti. There's hardcore kids in graffiti. Yep. There's like, I listen to like indie rock shit more than yeah. I listen to anything else these days. Um, And that's rad that there's, there's this like ecosystem within graffiti where like all these people can not just exist, but like interact with each other and become super close friends, Mm -hmm. even though they have really diverse interests outside of graffiti or art or,
0: you know, whatever you want to call it. When did, when did you first call yourself like a toy graffiti writer? How long after the Magnum tag with the marker (laughs) till the, till you actually understand what you're doing? I think
1: to put it all into perspective it was a totally different situation back then because the internet wasn't yeah yeah wasn't as prevalent as it is now yeah um and so we had to learn about things in different ways and I didn't live directly in Sacramento I lived about 30 minutes away okay and we would just I was already kind of like making trips to Get A Clue back when mm-hmm. it was on, it was on K Street. It was yeah. like around the corner from it on L. I think at one point before that, when I like first went there, but we'd go down to Get A Clue and they would have you know clothing, but then they would have mixtapes and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but it was like going there, going to uh, going to like Tower Books and getting graffiti magazines from where Europe, yeah. That's where you, not even from Europe. Like Twelve Ounce Profit was around back then. They had a magazine before a website. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm so toy. Yeah, and, dude. Uh, I didn't know that. I still have like a poster what? from Twelve Ounce Profit. Um, and it, yeah, they they would have like, they would have, they didn't have a ton of stuff from Europe. They'd have like a little bit but because there was already so many like European focused graffiti magazines. They really did try to focus on Uh-oh. U.S. graffiti, and they had. You know, lots of East Coast stuff, FX crew and SES and PER and all those dudes. And then they would have Miami crews like IHS, like Inkheads. Mm. Um, And then they would have a little bit of Bay Area and LA stuff in there, but it was pretty East Coast heavy. But then they did have like an issue that had Twist on the cover and a Twist interview. And so there was all these things where you would learn about techniques and different tools and different yeah. utensils and then different styles and a lot of it was just biting other people and you know figuring out your own style from that by taking yeah. a bunch of things but a lot of it was also just copying copying shit to figure out ways to ways to sketch or you know things like that
0: where were you where were you going to like rack paint and things in Sac in sack at the time so what were f- some of the hot spots full
1: disclosure i never racked paint
0: oh well where was everybody My else getting paint yeah. from then um
1: we would go get i mean back then it wasn't as locked down like you didn't have to be yeah they weren't enforcing you know the 18 18 year old age limit to buy spray paint so if you were tactful you could go into home depot and buy one or two cans of spray paint. Yeah. I did have a friend who racked stuff. And so he would go to, we'd go to Michael's and back then it was mostly markers. Yeah. It was like Woodcraft broad tip markers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then every now and then you'd find like Sakura markers, yeah, yeah. but it was not, you know, you couldn't go to leave your mark and buy yeah, it didn't exist. every single yeah. mop and paint marker under the sun. It was like, you would find out, you would hear from somebody that like, Oh, there's this art store in, Citrus Heights or like West Sacramento or something where they have Sakura markers or where they have this kind of paint marker, you know, the, the calligraphic calligraphic tip pilots or the the broad tip pilots or whatever it was. And so there's a lot of markers, even buying like shortcuts from like those little shortcuts cans from like CVS, the little model
0: paints. Yeah. 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 So
1: in the toy era, it was a lot of that, like, you know, Buying shit and figuring out it didn't work. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but yeah. And where does it become, where does graph lead to after you basically play with it a little bit? And like, where does it become a part of you? Like a heavy part of you?
1: I mean, I think when I got, when I was 16 and I got a car, then it was like, oh, we can, yeah. we can go places yeah. now. Like, we don't have to just walk around or skate around, mm-hmm. um, or catch rides downtown, things like that. And that was another thing we do is, you know, we'd come down to like Thursday night market yeah, yeah. walk around and see graffiti in Midtown and stuff like that. And I think for me, it really, I was doing it, you know, for the rest of high school and going out and driving around and hopping out of the car and that kind of stuff. But I think for me, it really, really, became more of a part of my life when I met my friend, Dan who wrote Horror 24. Yeah. Um, He was just someone who was like-minded and similar to me in a lot of ways and excited about a lot of the same stuff that I was, but also like introduced me to different things and and introduced me to different people. Um, And it was really when I graduated high school so if I'll I can tell the story really quick it. about yeah, meeting him. It. Yeah,
0: that was going to be my question.
1: Yeah, so I when I was a senior in high school, um and again I was living like 30 minutes away from Sac and I had my mom was out of t- out of town one weekend or something and I had a house party and one of my friends showed up with this dude and introduced me and we started talking and um somehow it got on the topic of like hip hop and graffiti and we just hit it off and we were we were talking about all these like hip hop groups we liked and um you know just sketching and like yeah. drawing and ca- like tagging on paper and stuff and he was like hey like if you're in a hip hop there's a a rave like yeah. a, a massive yeah. in uh in oakland and the alcoholics and De La Soul are playing there. Oh, that's tight. And alcoholics yeah. were like one of my favorite yeah, yeah. like groups growing up from the West Coast at least. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like, I'm down. And this was 98, because it was a that that party was Planet Rock 98. And so I went with him to that, um, had a blast, and then I ended up moving in with him. Um into an apartment off Morse Ave. <laughs> if I don't know, I don't know you if you know where Morse Ave is, but little Harry. Yeah. Um yeah. and yeah, from there we just like we had different people in and out of the house all the time. And we I would meet people at like parties at Raves and stuff, a lot of like sack graffiti dudes, um, and became friends with them from there. And I think it was just that it was surrounding myself with more of those people when it became like more, I guess, important to me. Well,
0: I think it's, I think it's important to say who, who Dan turned out to be later. Yeah. It's like 98. I wasn't around in that time. I have no idea what was going on here, but like when I had met Dan or met knew of Dan, right. It was, he was already whore 24. Yeah. He was already all city here. He was already, super established he just like he was tight and then he was it's it's been this weird thing in SAC where like you people become popular at a certain time for certain things and it could be like the guy who sells coke in the north face with the little <laughs> with the little like vanilla envelopes and like that dude's just super popular at in this one like in midtown yeah right or like this group. dude cuts hair and skates and like he's super popular or whatever and like when i heard of dan it was it was at that time he was like the the dj dude yeah and he was like dope graph head and so like when i met him i'm thinking like oh this is like what a hip-hop head embodies like what a graffiti hip-hop head like what i had the idea of a graffiti a dope writer should look like as a as a kid who knows nothing right outside of those things
1: and part of it was like he like dan had so much love for everybody yeah like he was he was super flawed of yeah. course like everybody is um when we lived together like i worked at a coffee shop and i had to wake up at 5 a.m every morning to go to work and then on my days off he would oversleep and like wake me up bugging me to like drive him to work and yeah. he, he was you know th- there were certain things where yeah, like yeah. he was less dependable but like no one could ever say that that dude wasn't wasn't kind-hearted and yeah. like super loving and i think that's what drew people to him and I, like i I've, I've had friends who later moved to sac but like you know came to visit and referred to him as like the mayor of sac
0: yeah because yeah. people
1: would come through here and like inevitably would cross paths yeah, yeah. with him and we did so i i guess i should put it into context dan passed away um several years ago i think it was in 2017 um his heart stopped he was in the hospital for a week yeah. you know he was surrounded by his friends and his family there for much of that time but you know wasn't communicative during yeah. that period and then um you know his his family had to make the decision and and unfortunately he passed away but after that like we were looking Sean Berner and I were looking at some way to like, you know, celebrate his memory and and just celebrate him and all of the, the, like the impact that he had had on all of our lives. And we put on an art show at Leave Your Mark and at Gallery 24, which was right next door. Mm -hmm. Um, That was like John Horton's or sorry, John Dozier's space for a bit. Um, And we called the show That's the Homie. Because that that's was a thing right. that yeah. Dan yeah. would say all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you would mention yeah. somebody and he knew them. Oh, that's the home. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he just like – there there weren't a lot of people that he didn't – that he disliked.
0: Yeah. Like, or didn't know of or people didn't know yeah. of him. Like, yeah. yeah.
1: He he really made it an effort to like show interest in people and make friends with people. And that's why he, he and I got so close so quickly. But it's also why – His existence and his name are, like, so synonymous with Sacramento for for so many people from here
0: and who aren't from here. Yeah. Tell me about the show. What was it like putting it together? What was the turnout like? Just can you elaborate a little bit more on the show?
1: Yeah. um, So we did that show, and there were certain people that we – that Sean and I reached out to. You know, there's artists in Sacramento that, like – you know, we knew we had to have, yeah, be involved. And there were people, you know, f- friends that friends of mine from the Bay yeah. or from different states or friends of Sean's from the Bay and different states that Dan was also super close with. And some of them that like he had introduced me to, yeah. Um, and or that he had introduced Sean to. And so we just did this show that was like, Everybody, the pieces that everybody contributed had some tie directly to Dan. Yeah. So a lot of them were like, you know, people doing horror 24 pieces, but also just doing when people do portraits of him, um, yeah. that were amazing. And we, there was a, a is a huge turnout. Um, we sold most of the pieces in the show. People were coming to us, like asking if they could contribute things. And like, yeah. we were so overloaded with artwork that at one point we kind of had to like start turning people away. Um, but we did try to make an effort to include as many people as we could. And then we gave the proceeds to, uh, his daughter's mom yeah, so that she could use them for, for his daughter, Harlow. Um, and yeah, it was great. It was, it was like, A celebration it was a feeling of accomplishment that we had pulled something off that did a good like did a just yeah job of like honoring his memory and celebrating him um and it was just it was also just hella fun uh so it was great
0: the last time i had seen him was in passing there was uh there was like a mural like a test run mural with the Midtown Business Association long time ago. They painted these walls purple and Sire and somebody else had invited me to paint something on one of the other walls. And there was like the guys from Lords were coming in to do something on another wall. And like, I showed up not understanding the scope of what this was. Yeah. And so like when I showed up and I started my sketch and my outline and like Emer pulls up and then pays comes by and you see Sirius over there just all these different people are here and like later on through the day more people show up and it became like it was the first time i've seen it in sacramento and haven't seen anything that big since that wasn't super authentic yeah um blocked off both ends of the alley the alley's probably like i don't know it's behind american graffiti tattoo where it used to be mm-hmm. and so like that whole alley was full with people painting the walls on both sides it was sick He pops up and I see him and I'm like, what's up? How have you been? I think he had just left to like Europe or something or some other place and then came back and he was just kind of telling me about the new path he's on and yeah, had a daughter and he was like, bro, we should get together and do something sometime. And to me, like I said, when I was a toy learning how to just scratch things out of Midtown, he was already like the man. So like that to me was dope that you know, it could have just been being nice or whatever, but it was just tight to see. And that after I had met him and talked with him for a little bit, I was like, I understand why people like this dude. Like, yeah. that. He just had a very kind spirit, very welcoming. And like a lot of people from SAC from tend to be haters, tend to be like, <laughs> you know, gatekeepers, and he just wasn't that person. And so that was my last experience with him, seeing him paint too and just how he just did his thing and didn't care what anybody thought of him. I thought it was dope.
1: That's always the people that stand out to you though, right?
0: Like the people that
1: show you warmth and kindness, even if you're not a name that they recognize, you know what I mean? Like people who are willing to just encounter you and get to know you for who you are or, and not, not as much for like what your name means in the streets or whatever, or like how up you are, how well-known you are, or how it's going to serve you or serve them to know you. Like it's the people that are just like, oh, cool. Like even if this person's just starting out, Mm -hmm. like everybody, most everybody had somebody who gave them tips and tricks along the way. And I think the same same goes for like the broader art world. Like I've had people who throughout the years were super – generous and sharing their knowledge and weren't gatekeeping Yeah, and just were interested in seeing their friends or the, or people they met be successful and shared things or, or even shared space. Like, yeah you know, brought people along with them and helped, helped lift them up or shine a spotlight on them. So yeah, that, and that I, you called out one other thing too, which is Dan's mural work. And I yeah. think for anybody who didn't have, the good fortune of knowing him, like he is still a presence in Sacramento from the work he
0: did. Yeah.
1: A mural that him and Sean and, um, are from Max McMaster did like is in that movie lady bird.
0: Is Uh, it really? The peacock on the side of the market. Okay. Um,
1: and then he did like the dad's sandwiches and Anthony's Mm -hmm. barber shops, all the paintings on their buildings. And he did, a few... There, Tower Records is wiped out now, but, like, him and Sean did a bunch of stuff over there. So I think one, one thing too. I
0: want to mention about that, that's and this is crazy, there's a an artist that we had in the show, Chirajni, I'm probably fucking up her name, but dope-ass, like, illustrator. She comes from the illustration world, doing mm. background paintings, and she had talked to me about this concept she wanted <clears> to put together about a kid growing up in Sacramento, just seeing it change from kind of the change we're going through now, where it's a little bit more of a bigger city and the city's growing. And she wanted to highlight some of the things from her childhood. And she's like, I love the Tower Theater and I love the record store that used to be across the street from there. And I'm like, yo, you know who painted that? This dude named Dan Hort, Graff Dupe. I kind of gave her a little bit of the resume. I was like, it'd be dope if you somehow incorporated that mural into the painting. If it makes sense to what you're doing. She sent me the rendering and it was... The top of the mural, like as if these kids were sitting on the roof of that building, just kind of enjoying the day as kids in SAC. And so that I think turned out to be the piece she sold in the show here. And it's I'll show you on the way out. You'll see it. But it's like we had that conversation about um, about him and why he was important. And she put it in the mural yeah or in in the painting and i was like that's crazy that now we're having it's like right there dude
1: <laughs> yeah he i mean there were a lot of people that i met either through him directly or or just with him or through people i met through him um and then he moved away for a while he moved to the to seattle for a little bit it was actually like right after he started writing horror yeah. 24 like cuz he came up with that name that name was when he was living with me and I still have the first horror piece that he ever like sketched out in a black book somewhere. Um, but then he moved to Seattle and he was gone for a couple years and then moved back. And then, uh, yeah, he moved away for a little bit. Like you mentioned, I think it was to Denmark. I I think it was Denmark. Um, but I could be, (laughs) I could be wrong. Um, But, yeah, and then he was back here and he was doing his thing and he was, you know, him and John Dozier started a sign painting business Mm -hmm. and they were doing a lot of things around here. But, yeah, he left his – him not being around anymore I think leaves a big a big hole in a lot of people's hearts and a big hole in just the Sacramento scene in general. There is, like, a vibrancy that he brought to this place that I think is – is missing and it'll, you know,
0: be missing forever. Especially seeing how murals progressed here. You know, like, he should have been a part of the growth, the boom you see now. Facts. Let's, um... Where does your art go after that significant event of him passing? What does that do to your art? Um, so I had, prior to that,
1: done, like, little... Shows mm-hmm. here and there, and I had always just focused on doing stuff that I was that I had fun doing, but also just pricing it at a like putting it at a price point where it was super affordable and people could have art in yeah. their homes and like not have to haggle over whether they would be able to buy groceries or yeah. pay rent because it was super cheap and so it wouldn't put a dent in their wallet and like even. I had done a show with, um, way back in the day, like with Dano and my friend Jason Gardner and my friend Austin McManus and, um, a couple other people from the Bay and Amanda Lopez and some other people that I'm sure I'm leaving out, but, um, we had done those things together, but like, even just in that show, the pieces that I had, and I had a, like, probably 15 pieces that were all just kind of small to medium to Mm -hmm. slightly larger. And there wasn't a real consistency. It was like a lot of it was super rooted in graffiti. Yeah. um, But there was no like real set style to it. And after Dan passed away, we did that show and I kind of took the same approach to that. Um, And I was spending a lot of time like with Sean Berner at his studio and just talking through things and I was meanwhile at home I was trying new things and I started doing I had always kind of not always I, for a long time I'd played with shapes and color had always been sort of my primary mm-hmm. focus like whatever I worked on I tried to make sure that color theory, there's like an application of color theory to it or what it is in my mind, like what color theory means to me and what like my relationship to colors are. And I just dove into simplifying it and exploring that more. And, um, I was getting feedback from people whose opinions I valued. Mm. And so I kind of kept running with it and, trying new things with it and, and being more consistent and painting more. Um, And like I said, I had people who gave me tips and like helped me get better at what I was trying to do and showed me how to do things more cleanly or build frames or, um, you know, put a, like I had never put it, even put like a finish on a canvas. Like I had never done. Yeah a satin finish or a matte finish Mm -hmm. or a gloss finish or whatever. And there were people who like exposed me to that. Um, and I got a shout out like Max McMaster who I mentioned earlier and, and John Horton who, um, his Instagram is high tech, low life, but those two really like, and Sean. Yeah. Burner. Like I, I should say those three were really the ones who, gave me feedback when I asked for it and gave me a leg up when, like, they could yeah. or showed me little tips and tricks. And I showed, I did a show at, I think the first one I did was at, I showed something at Sean's gallery um, in a show they were doing there. And that was big for me because it was, like, was it a, felt validating. One? I did something in that too. Um, I can't remember if that was the first one. I think that before the Adidas one, I did a show at Leave Your Mark. Okay. It was me and Max. We did a um, a joint show there together. you know what Max's
0: Instagram name is?
1: I think it's like Maxwell McMaster it's, or something. It okay. sucks because
0: I know all these people through Instagram. So yeah. So you tell me, I'm like, who is that? And then you say, oh, high tech. I'm like, oh, duh. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Ma- Max's is, I think, Maxwell McMaster. He lives in LA now um, and is – just has he's been crazy, super talented yeah. for as long as I can remember, Um, and I, th- again, somebody I met I think through Dan, or maybe I met him through like D one or something way yeah. back in the day. <laughs> D one, uh, because that was another dude I yeah, was yeah. super super close with that I met through like rave shit. Yeah, that's um, that makes sense. But Max and I did a joint show, and it was called Square One. Just like simplicity yeah like back to square one and that's where i really tried to run with the thing that i was doing and the thing i was doing and how it like i guess how it's to bring a full circle how it's like related to graffiti is that it was just shapes and colors yeah like it's like you know abstract with and at the end of the day like i'm not doing anything groundbreaking at all and I recognize that but the thing I think I do do well is mapping out things spatially and mapping out colors that maybe don't seem like they would go together but then they do or colors that like no duh they go together but just the way that they're positioned on the canvas and so that's the thing that I really kind of dove into Head first. And I gotta throw one thing out go too, it, just because we mentioned yeah, graffiti yeah. a bunch of times. Like the thing that would always drive me like ape shit crazy. Yeah, when I was younger, and I guess a little more like ornery about these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, was people who'd be like, Oh yeah, you know, I grew up doing graffiti, but now oh, like I'm doing this, and like that's horrible. You if you were around in that period, you're like, This dude didn't do fucking yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And so I like I'm hesitant to be, like, using graffiti as
0: a start.
1: Well, even, like, anything that would come off as, like, some marketing thing that has anything to do with my art because I was (laughs) never, like, super duper up. Yeah, Like, I loved it. I had fun with it. I met most of my friends who are still, like, my closest friends to this day through it. Mm -hmm. But, like, I was never doing – I was never super heavy in the game. I knew a lot of people and I – Stayed cool with a lot of people and like made tons of friends through it and had a lot of fun with it and learned a lot from it and applied a lot of things that I learned from it into like fine art, as you call it, which I'm also like hesitant to call it (laughs) because I think I still have a long way to go. But like all of that informed how I was doing things because when you're painting a piece, like you're not just like some of the time, you know, you're doing a scrap can piece where you're like, yeah. cool, this is what I have left. I'll make it work somehow. But even with that, if you got twelve half cans of like Montana or Rusto or whatever yeah. it is, you still try to be thoughtful about shit. Like yeah. you're not doing, you know, uh of course you're worried about like opacity and like how you're gonna cover things, you know, yeah. how you're gonna cover and what things you can use as like highlights or like misting or whatever. But in terms of the actual piece itself, like you put thought into even with a scrap can piece, mm-hmm. how you're going to put those colors together. And if you like go to, I, I got a shot. I'm going to keep shouting them out because yeah. they're, it's I think only- they're a super important, um a, an important part of the community to artists and to like writers and sack, but like leave your mark, yeah. go to leave your mark every color in the world exists yeah and like that wasn't how it was growing up like that's a we have it really good now we do we didn't always have it that good but when you can go in there you're not planning things out due to necessity you're Mm -hmm. like planning out however you want yeah whatever colors you want under the sun to put together you can and that's the same thing with like a canvas. You're worried you, you, with letter structure, right? Yeah. Like you're, if something's a little off, like it drives you fucking crazy, yeah. right?
0: It has to arch the same way on both sides, or yeah. it'll be it'll be yeah. Wrong. Or you're like
1: the top of the e is too yeah. th- too thick, or it's too skinny here, or like it kinks yeah. out the wrong way, or like I want some sort of little attachment coming off here, or some little like widget on it, and when you're just doing abstract painting that that's all you're looking at it's just boiled down to shapes and colors yeah and and where they are and how they're interacting with each other and if they're like not to get too corny with it or too self-important with it but like are they creating movement are they flowing in a certain way are they directing your eye to one part of it or another and then like is it moving your eye from one place to the next to the next on the canvas and that's the that's the shit i try to play with when i'm painting
0: okay we're gonna put a pin in in that thought process (laughs) okay i will pick that up (laughs) sure like we're about to run out of time here and i'm not gonna be able to say everything i want to with you so if you're available next sunday i'd love to have you back yeah man and we'll do a part two just because you're going into exactly what I wanted to talk to you with this about. But you did cover a lot about Dan, and I think that's important because nobody... I haven't had anybody on yet that that knew him as extensively, and they were such a big and solid part of their journey. So I appreciate Facts. that part. And that's totally way more than I thought we were going to get. But when you said you're not the guy that uses graffiti as a, as like a selling point, that shit... Irked me because I am the guy that uses (laughs) Grapedia as a selling point. But you earned it. But I did earn it. But that's and that's that's the thing though, is like I wanted to say this before we wrapped up and just talk about it a bit. Is like there is a big difference, bro. And I think you 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 respect that difference. That's why you made mention of it. Is like our culture is clearly seen different by the world now. Like, I've taught kids. (laughs) and cops an and shit bro you know what year, i'm saying dude. like because when you were coming up you you weren't supposed to do these things yeah like spray paint was bad i know i thought the same thing and it was just it was the attitude toward it like tony hawk did fucking commercials that said don't spray paint your thing and yep. like like anyways it was there was a different attitude toward it so now that sacramento is experiencing gro- outward growth which the artists tell the story of the time and the place, right? Like regardless of what art form you come from. Mm -hmm. And somewhere or another, each artist in that time helps to narrate that time. And so like I wanted to make sure that in Sacramento, California, somebody who sacrificed for graffiti came from or got some of the shine when it came to using spray cans and things. And the response has been dope. Like I'm, I'm super, the reason why this works the way it does with my stuff is because like of the community I come from because of the two decades of meeting everybody here and there and just knowing people and like, but I had seen you up before I like
1: talked to you or met you or knew like before I saw your podcast.
0: So you put in the work to be able to to do that. And I don't want to get anything confused. I just wanted to further on what you were saying. And I think you're. You're completely right. And, like, if... The thing is, is, like, if we don't stand up and tell our own individual stories as writers and why graffiti is different than anything else, somebody else will. And it's probably not going to be somebody who's going to do it justice. Yeah. Like, somebody told me some story about the origins of graffiti were from were from uh, government overthrow, and it never came from anywhere aside from, like, rebels in, in Russia and the Cold War. And I was just like, I that is a version of the story for them but in america this culture that i practice comes from a different place yeah but if there's nobody who comes from from that and can tell you that you'll just believe whatever you hear you'll believe whatever you see so it's important for us to narrate the story and to tell it put it on a podcast in front of a fucking fireplace (laughs) like what the hell is mario doing and christmas lights and shit but I think it's just dope to get this opportunity, dude. And I'm excited to sit down with you. I want to know, before we go, and I ask you my final question, I want to know, what's the difference between making a graffiti piece and making an abstract art piece to you in the mind? What's the train of thought that's different?
1: Um, I think, obviously, like the circumstances of it. If you're, Definitely. if you're painting that makes sense, yeah. a freight in a yard, yeah. like there's different pressures on you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're painting it a free wall and you can take, you know, the whole day and you have a whole bunch of colors and can chill and kick back and drink a beer while you paint. That's one thing. But for me at least, um, I think it's the preparation. Like I don't, there's nothing to sketch. Yeah. for what I paint typically. Like sometimes if I'm doing, when I've done like landscape kind of things, Mm -hmm. I'll sort of do like a really, really rough sketch just to see how the space will work on the canvas. Yeah. But for the most part, it's just going in and putting a bunch of colors together and deciding where I want to go with it. And there's like a little bit of trial and error every now and then there's, you know, I'll use a color and I'm like, nope. That didn't work and I'll paint over it with something else. Um, but I think the difference is that is planning. Like you most of the pieces I painted, if I like put a lot of effort and time into them, especially like I would have a sketch. Yeah. And for canvases, I just have an idea of like what colors I'm gonna use. And then I just start the first strokes of paint on the canvas and figure out
0: where it goes from there. I love the preparation for graffiti because that all the intensity of it and the risk of it added to the end product of it. So like when I would paint something and impress myself in graffiti, it it, it meant more to me that it was illegal because it just, it tested me that much more. Like I like that part about it. In Maybe
1: the, sorry, I didn't mean to go, in
0: the studio work, I like that the art will teach me something new because it's like I don't come in with any sketches or drawings. It's just like I'll get it to a certain point and then I'll be like, what's the thing not to do right now? That graph would would say that's like wrong to do. And then I'll do that to the piece and just see what happens.
1: I think you just actually made me realize, like, another pretty big difference between the two practices, for me at least, is that in terms of graffiti, like, or or painting pieces, I guess. Yeah. Um, I can't think of a piece where I was, like, super happy with it. Really? Ever. <laughs> like, ever. In the history of anything I painted, like, I never... I never felt super super confident yeah. with most of the stuff I did. Like as a writer, I didn't feel super confident. As a skater, I was like I'm decent, but yeah. I, I was never really good. Um when I used to DJ, I was decent. Yeah. But I was never I never was like oh, I'm really good at it. With painting, I still feel the same way, but at least when I finish pieces, like when I finish painting a canvas, Most of the time I'm pretty happy with it, which is rare, a rare feeling for me is that like, I'm at least confident about stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this is worthy of, in my opinion, like I know there's people who probably think like my paintings suck and they're super boring and like derivative of 8 million other things, which they probably are, (laughs) but like there's also people who appreciate it and yeah. who like really like them and, and like them enough to want to buy them and hang them in their homes and or take them you with them on when a they move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which thank you yeah. again. But like, it's, I think that's like the big difference is the satisfaction, like satis- you get satisfaction out of painting pieces and yeah. like, you know, or catching a tag or whatever it is or doing a throw up, but you're not always like that looks really good. And for me, I'm, when I finish a, can, when I finish a canvas, I get that feeling much more consistently, and that's where, I guess, I see a big difference there for
0: me is that I feel more satisfied with the stuff that I'm doing. If you take the ego part of it out of the lead, in graffiti we lead with ego. Facts. We lead with ego. We judge with ego. Ego is the biggest part of the whole thing. That's why you don't realize how valuable graph is till later because you learn to manage that emotion of ego in art it's it can you can lead with ego and you'll end up doing the repetitive things the safe things that got you the praise but like i feel like you particularly valuing the opinion of sean and of high tech low life and your other buddy like you're not leading with ego in those cases no i try to lead with humility and that's probably why you get more out of the pieces because there's, art will teach you all kinds of fucking things about yourself, even when you're not trying to learn, dog. And that's probably the most valuable thing of of the action of painting as an artist, you know, the sale and the other thing. That's something different, but yeah, painting as therapy, that's where its value is, is that it'll, you can work things out, you can explore them, I and they don't even have to have anything to do with it. When you, when I paint the stress of a day, it doesn't look like stress. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy. When there's
1: there's millions of people who just draw or paint for themselves and will never show anything yeah. in a gallery. And maybe they give gifts to friends or, or something like that. But like, there's a lot of people who just do it for themselves and there's people who do it cause they, they need to, they have to, like they have yeah. to get that, like the, get that release yeah. as you said it. Um, but yeah, I think that's, leading with humility is always a good look like you're you're gonna you're gonna have more opportunities to become close with people and to like lift other people up and to have other people want to actually lift you up or, or to want to build with you I guess
0: I think you're right I think we'll we'll leave that's where we'll end this episode at um we'll get with this you and schedule the next one yeah Hopefully it'll be next weekend and we can figure out just one in part one and two but thank you for your time yeah um, man. this podcast is brought to you by we are sacramento